Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Hello, and welcome back to New Books in Latin American Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. I'm Rachel Newman, a host on this channel. Today, we'll be speaking with Tanya Harmer about her book, um, Beatriz Allende, A Revolutionary Life in Cold War Latin America, uh, that's just out this spring from UNC Press. Tanya Harmer is an associate professor of international history at the London School of Economics and Political Science. Tanya, welcome to the program. Um, thanks very much for inviting me on. Um, it's great to be able to talk to you about it. So this book is a biography um, of Beatriz Allende, but I actually wanted to begin by asking a sort of biographical question about you. Um, how exactly did your academic trajectory lead you to this project? Yeah, no, thanks for the question. Um, it's um, there's it. There were a few things that led me um, to be interested in Beatriz. Um, I think, I mean, I have to say that this book very much follows on from my first book, which was an international history of Allende's Chile. So the three years of the Unidad Popular government in Chile that from 1970 to 73. And it was over the course of writing that book um, and doing the interviews for that book, um, primarily with um, former Cuban intelligence officials, um, that I first became aware of Beatriz and aware of how she was very significant um, in the relationships between Chile and Cuba um, in the 60s and 70s. So um, I started having questions about her um, during that first book. Um, she appears in, in the first book um, here and there. Um, but so she was mentioned in interviews um, that I did. Her name kept popping up and, and I, I started to get curious, really. I started to think, you know, who was she? Um, how was she able to reach important positions so young? And, and just by way of kind of introduction for those who haven't read the book, um, she becomes a very key um, advisor, confidant to her father during her father's presidency in the early 70s. She was involved in guerrilla insurgencies in the late 60s. She was a key figure of 
global solidarity networks um, in the 1970s. And so I started thinking, you know, who was she and, and how did she get to this position? What were her influences? What was she able to influence? And I have to say, I was also curious because about the time I was hearing about her, um, not not now, it's taken me 10 years to write the book, but around the time I was writing about her, she 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 was someone who was the same, would have been the same age as me. Um, and uh, I, I, I was just curious about how someone at similar age um, had such a completely different life and, and a different um, experience. Um, so one of it was curiosity about who was this woman and nothing really had been written about her. Um, the fact that she had died of um, suicide um, very young, age 35, um, in 1977, um, also had meant that um, it, not many people had delved into her, her her past. And then I had, then there, there was the question of opportunity. So, in doing the interviews with the people that I was um, interviewing for the first um, uh, book, and and primarily um, Beatriz's former um, husband, uh, Luis Fernandez Oña. Um, I realized I had the opportunity to ask about her, but also possible people who could open doors to others who could um, I could interview who might be able to share sources. Um, and Luis also was able to share some of her private collections, so the, her correspondence. Um, and, and among those, kind of the letters between her and Luis that, um, that he'd saved um, from the late 60s. Um, and then finally, it was really about there was an interest, there was an intellectual interest in exploring Cold War history and the history of Chile from um, new angles. So my first book was very much an international history focused on state-to-state relations, but I became increasingly interested in in what uh, Gilbert Joseph and, and Greg Grandin had called like the internationalization, politicization of everyday life. You know, how did the Cold War contest really affect everyday society, people and human subjects, right? human beings uh, what did it mean to them um and so so it was it started there was a kind of a, a variety of things that led me um to start asking questions about her and thinking about this project more broadly so before we get into talking about some of the um different periods of Beatrice's life um, I wondered if you could just sort of give our listeners a little bit of an overview of some of the milestones in Chilean history um, during the period of her lifetime, um, from the 1940s up to the 1970s, um, and how you see your work as, um, you know, sort of giving maybe some nuance as well as joining um, a conversation about the global 60s or the long 1960s. So this is, I mean, it's a book um, that really charts a revolutionary moment in Chilean history, um, what I call kind of the rise and fall of a revolutionary moment. Um, this is a moment where you have increasing participation in political life in Chile, uh, political mobilization, and interestingly, youth involvement in politics. Um, it's it, it's a much broader um, view of the revolutionary process that we usually hear about, which is uh, we usually focus, see focus on 1970 to 73, which is when Salvador Allende was elected as the head of a left wing coalition government. Um, and 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 governed until the coup of 1973. But as you say, um, really in charting this rise and fall of the revolutionary moment in Chile, I'm interested in 
in the long 60s um, in positioning that Unidad Popular movement, that Allende's government in, in a much broader chronological period. So when I'm talking about the long 60s in Chile, um, I'm talking about um, three presidential terms, three governments. So there's the, the presidency of Jorge Alessandri, um, from 1958 to 1964, um, a period of really crisis and and um, questioning, really, of the established order, traditional politics um, that took place in that period, um, and then the book kind of moves to the what I in, what I've really come to appreciate as being really transformative moment in Chilean history um, through writing this book, and which I don't think we can understand the 70s without understanding, which was the presidency of Eduardo Frey and the Christian Democratic uh, government from 64 to 70, um, which brought about or aimed to bring about what was known as a revolution in liberty, a reformist kind of experiment that that tried to um, prevent kind of Marxist socialist revolution from 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 gaining um, 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 popularity and and in 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 the country, uh, we then move on to Allende's um, government. This incredible period, where by which a democratically elected government tried to bring about peaceful socialist revolution by democratic means, um, and of course, um, we 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 go to the coup of nineteen seventy three, which was obviously the 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 demise of that experiment, um, and. The book follows Beatrice then into exile in Cuba, um, where she um, began helping to lead and participate in resistance to the right-wing dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet that established itself um, in Chile from 1973 right up until 1990. Thank you so much. Um, So now let's kind of zoom in a little bit on the life of Beatriz Allende, who I'm not sure we've said um, is the daughter of Salvador Allende, um, who was, you know, an important political figure through uh, the time period you're writing about. So the first question I had for you um, was about kind of her early life and to what extent her experience and her family um her family situation, was it usual or unusual for a young woman from the Chilean upper middle class? Yeah, um, and thanks. For, <laughs> that's probably where we should have started, really. Who, who is Beatriz and, 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 um, and um, what does she represent? What was her, what was, what was she, um, what does she do in, in her life? Well, um, she's the second daughter of um, Salvador Allende and, and Hortensia Busi, um, his wife, um, she she grows up in a in a very middle class um, uh, world as you as you mentioned. Um, she's incredibly influenced by her father, very close to her father, who is uh, has been running for Congress and also president um, in 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 her early life. So politics is is very much part of her daily life. It's part of her family life. Um, she but she says and and I was able to draw on on a number of interviews that she gave um, uh, later on in her life, um, she herself reflected that she didn't really become politically aware or uh, conscious of of politics until she was about 14 or 15. Um, So while she went on election tours or campaign tours with her father, and although politics was present in her home life and her household, um, it was she led, led quite a sheltered life in terms of questioning what her father was 
campaigning for or what politics, uh, what was happening in the country. Um, now, obviously, I've, <laughs> I would love to have had many more sources to, to really delve what ha- into what happened when she was 14 or 15, when she says her father really explained what was happening to uh, the country. Um, um, but I had to I had to go and look at the context. I had to think, OK, what is happening at this moment in Chile when she's 14 or 15? Um, and there's there's a lot that is happening. I mean, for one, um, Chile uh, has these incredible riots that break out in March, April 1957 um, and similar in a way to the October 2019 um, protests in Chile at the moment. Uh, they were sparked by rising transport costs, but also kind of anger at the rising cost of living and the way in which um, the government's efforts to deal with um, uh, economic and uh, uh, difficulties in the country um, had been channeled through austerity packages, through cutting back on public spending. Um, and uh, so you, you've got this growing mobilization um, uh and students and young people really taking to the streets in 1957. Um, now, this this also dovetails at a moment in which the left are real, is reorganising after a period of really kind of uh, dissolution. I mean, fragmentation. Um, the Communist Party has been banned for for ten years between 1948 and 1958. Was banned in Chile as a result of. Uh, local and international Cold War pressures, um, anti-communist kind of uh, uh, pressures. Um, And so, but in 1957, you've got the reconfiguration of the left, the formation of the the FRAP, um, um, which comes together and nominates Allende, Salvador Allende, Beatriz's father, um, to stand as an election candidate, as a presidential candidate in the 1958 elections that are on the horizon. And so this this first chapter then it shows Beatrice um, becoming more politically aware um, and um, engaging in politics at this very crucial, pivotal kind of election that took place in 1958. Um, now, what the 58 election um, does, I mean, it, it raises expectations. You've got huge mobilization for the FRAP um, and Allende comes very close to winning. Um, the disappointment then that accompanies uh, the mobilization after he loses is something that um, I think is, is very important to understand if we then want to understand the radicalization of younger um, Chileans in future years in the kind of 1960s generation. And that chapter ends with um, what happens four months after Allende loses the elections, which is, of course, the Cuban Revolution and the triumph of Fidel Castro. Um, which I argue um, throughout the book, what I'm trying to do is is trying to understand how the Cuban revolution, which was such a crucial and influence on on Beatrice's life, how the Cuban revolution, um, why it had the resonance it did um, among kind of this revolutionary 1960s generation. And I think unless you understand the tensions already existing in Chile and also that disappointment and frustration with the loss of the election in 1958, we don't really understand why Cuba suddenly becomes a beacon of hope, as 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 one um, Chilean described it, a beacon of hope and an alternative that seems to suggest a different path to the one that the Chilean um, traditional parties, left wing parties, had been following up to that point. So, so this is 
so this so this is a you know she it's not that she was born a revolutionary or born um uh, thinking in terms of left wing politics despite you know even though her, this is her father was uh, who he was um um but it's what i argue is that actually it, it this political awareness and consciousness comes relatively late, uh, you know, in her adolescence. Um, and it's it's a process of discovery that she has to go and really discover for herself rather than just um, absorbing through hereditary kind of osmosis by listening to kind of conversations around her in, in, in the family home. I think another um, piece of evidence for that argument that you show is that in fact, it's when she leaves the family home to go to university in a different part of Chile that um, you know some of her uh, kind of more radical political ideas start to coalesce. So could you talk about how she ends up in Concepcion and what's her life as a medical student there like and how are politics part of that university experience for her? Yeah, so as, as well as um, being influenced by her father and, and um, his politics and and um, that being an, a way into kind of left-wing revolutionary politics for her. She's also very much um, inspired by her father's um, medical training um, and his um, his experience of ha- having been a medical student. Um, I think it's inconceivable to, to, to think of why she went into medicine and she goes to study medicine. This is what she chooses to do uh, without understanding that, you know, admiration she has for her father. And I think also her father's... Um, predilection for a, for a particular type of medicine, social medicine, and his interest in public health. Um, so she she wants to study medicine, but interestingly, and this is something that um, I wasn't aware of when I began interviews and, and started um, delving into this um, story, um, in Chile in 1960, which is when she's applying to university, um, only 15% of students admitted to medical programs were women. Um, Women were the numbers of women were capped um, going into university, and um, the reason for this was it was expected that women would uh, eventually graduate, they'd go and get uh, married, have children, and leave the profession. So why kind of train them and, and expend the money um, and and resources on training women? I mean, this didn't happen. Uh, you know, those who did go to university um, stayed in the profession. And Beatrice was one of the few who actually left, but she left for political reasons later on. But um, because of this quota, the 15%, um, she doesn't get into her first choice. And her first choice is um, the University of Chile. It is Santiago, which is where she's living. Um, and she uh, gets a place in Concepcion in the south of Chile. Um, now, in a way, this becomes kind of a serendipitous uh, moment in her life, which is, you know, pivotal, transformational in terms of her politics, as you say. Um, Because in Concepcion, as you alluded to, she starts to discover her politics for herself. Um, She's not so much in the shadow of her father. Um, She um, meets um, a number of key uh, figures who will be incredibly important um, uh, figures on the revolutionary left in Chile. I mean, the most the most important, obviously, being Miguel Enriquez, who becomes a friend of hers and, and whom she um, shares kind of um, political, is, is, is in a political kind of group with at the University of Concepcion. 
But there are other things that happen at Concepcion which um, change her life and 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 give her an awareness of politics, but also of what's happening in Latin America that would never have been predicted when she uh, got the news that she wasn't uh, going to be in Santiago. And that is that in May 1960, um, there was an, a, a, a huge earthquake um, that struck southern Chile, um, the largest ever recorded earthquake actually to date. Um, and this earthquake, um, she, she, she is fine. Um, she leaves Concepcion very quickly and most of uh, students of Concepcion are evacuated or, or leave for the, for, 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 to go back home um, uh, if they can. Um, those from the south were, had to stay. But Beatriz is one of a, f- a few Chilean students from Concepcion University who were selected um, to go to Buenos Aires to receive and collect donations that have been um, collected to for the university to help the university rebuild. Um, uh, there's an enormous solidarity, outpouring of solidarity and, and, and assistance around the world uh, following this earthquake, but uh, very much so in Latin America. And she, she she gets a lift on a postal plane across the Andes with these other students to Buenos Aires. And there she meets other students in Buenos Aires, um, socialist students. So this is part of the kind of university socialist um, uh network um and she meets meets up with people who had been in, to chile for a summer school in in 19 uh, early 1960 um and in buenos aires she's invited to the, the students are invited to uruguay then they're invited to brazil then they're invited to venezuela and most importantly um they're invited to cuba and um on the back of this incredible latin american tour which is a fundraising tour but it increasingly becomes uh, a, a tour in which these students are learning about Latin America, learning about the region. They end up uh, in Havana, arriving just after the first Latin American Youth Congress has started. And this is um, an incredible event that took place in 1960 that um, has received very little attention, actually, um, but which brought together um, young Latin Americans from all around the region um, not just on the revolutionary left, but Christian Democrats, uh, nationalists, reformists, uh, communists uh, of the communist parties, um, to discuss what was happening in Latin America, to discuss what was happening in Cuba, um, and to think about what role youth could play in development, in modernity, in in in, in thinking about kind of Latin America's future. Um, and it's there she meets Che. Um, you know, she she sees um, at the closing ceremony of the youth congress, she sees. Fidel, um, um, he makes an incredible speech in which he expropriates or uh, announces the expropriation of a number of U.S. businesses. Um, and her companion told me of, you know, young delegates to this Congress essentially going down to the seafront and seeing the signs, you know, being thrown into over the Malecon into the into the sea. Um, and she goes back to Concepcion, and she she becomes. Uh, you know, a, a spokesperson for the Cuban Revolution. I mean, it had been a, something of interest to her before this, but she 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 discovers it firsthand. Um, and so, among these are among the kind of chance um, uh, influences that she she that, that really come to to form her own political identity, in which the influence of the Cuban Revolution is is central. So after this time of, um, you know, sort of being on more on her own in the university setting and that um, very exciting sounding Latin American tour, 
Um, her father runs for president um, again, and she takes on an important role in that campaign. So could you describe for us exactly what this role was and what made her contribution significant this time around? Yeah, um, so um, the 1964 election in, in Chile was um, an in- incredibly hard-fought election Um in both candidates that are running, that's Eduardo Frey for the Christian Democrats and her father for the for the FRAP, both of them are campaigning on an, an agenda for change. Um, none of the, neither of them are, are, are campaigning for for, for the uh, status quo. Or, um, but what what Frey is is suggesting is that he will bring forward a, a reformist revolution in liberty, as I mentioned before. Um, uh, to one that would avoid, would bring about large-scale change, but without um, class conflict. In fact, what he ends up doing, or the Christian Democrat campaign, large, heavily funded by the United States, um, um, ends up doing, is actually um, purporting to bring about to, to offer a third way, but really um, politicizing, um, you know, very vast sectors of, of of the Chilean population, because what they're trying to do is take the campaign to youth sectors to women's groups to marg- what what would described as marginal sectors um now the frap is also campaigning in 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 the same um kind of uh, respect i mean they have been campaigning in poorer communities um trying to win over um uh, youth sectors um as well um and Beatri- this 1964 ca- campaign really dovetails with two with with i mean it, it it, it it dovetails with where Beatrice is um, at that moment. I mean, she's 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 just turned twenty one. Um, she is part of this youth generation that both candidates are trying to to win over um, and mobilize and target as 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 voting um, uh, as voters. Um, she's also a woman, of course. Um, and the nineteen sixty four election, um, the the view was that uh, women had helped bring Alessandri to power. Um, and that women's votes would be the key um, deciding vote between Allende and um, Frey in a narrow election. Um, so Beatrice is obviously, well, she's 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 a woman, um, but she also starts to be able to, she's interviewed and she starts to speak for her father um, in terms of um, his, uh, his position within the family, um, his approach to uh, religion. Um, because um, the the left uh, is trying to win over female voters, um, she appears in 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 a number of um, she's interviewed as you know on questions of um, Allende in the home, which was thought to appeal to kind of women voters to find out more about his intimate life, his personal life. Um, what she's asked about is 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 quite revealing. She's asked more about her hairstyles and how Allende likes <laughs> women to do their hair than. Than about her politics, but because she's a medical student, and crucially, unlike her sisters, she's a member of the Socialist Party or the Young Socialists. Um, she also becomes seen very much as a as a as kind of the person who's closest to her father politically, um, a kind of an heir uh, to him, or 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 his his kind of. Actually, I mean, what was described very often um, to me in interviews as the son he never had, which we can come on to discuss maybe a bit later, but. Um, um, so she, she 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 becomes she, the family becomes 
much more prominent and, and a spotlight is shone over them in a way that had never really happened in elections prior to this. Um, and that's that's because of the gendered aspect of this, the, 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 the election and the belief that women voters needed to be won over um, more. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash NBN50 to get 50% off. So following this election um, uh, and following this chapter in the book, um, you talk about sort of, um, on the one hand, the, the sort of everyday rhythms and habits of her medical studies, which are very intense, um, a sort of growing political involvement on her part, and also her first um, important romantic relationship. So I wondered if you could tell us how those three pieces are interconnected or not. And are we seeing that politicization of everyday life in the Cold War happening here? Um, yeah. I mean, one of the most fascinating part um, aspects to me of, of, of writing a biography is that, I mean, and, and really I, this is, a, it's kind of less of a kind of classic biography in the cradle to grave, but more of a kind of micro history approach to biography and that I'm interested in her as a means to understanding the times and, and the world that she lived in. Um, but what, what is interesting is that you have to go where your subject goes and your subject goes in very, in, in ways that you wouldn't think about. Um, when we think, when we devise our kind of projects, we tend to think in terms of neat historical categories. We either were history of medicine or history of politics or history of the environment. The thing about Beatrice is as a medical student, um, she she forced me and to go and understand um, you know that relationship between health and politics. Um, and um, for her, it, and it becomes it's it's so very obvious um, that um, the two were very intricately connected for her father as well but um, what we see is as a medical student and particularly in her an internship years um, where the students were um, working in kind of big public hospitals that these students become um, directly um, witness to to some of the the key kind of strains and pressures um, um, facing Chile and particularly the re results of kind of socioeconomic and society um, inequalities um, and um, problems that that she really sees through the, the, the perspective of health, um, which has been something I've been thinking about a lot recently um, in the current um, situation. Um, and so we see um, big questions of family planning um, 
that that the student doctors are dealing with in in terms of dealing with the complications arising from illegal abortions in the 1960s, which becomes a crisis of uh, really significant proportions in in Chile, um, and the growing um, kind of reformist impulses towards family planning um, that happen in the mid 60s under Frey's um, um, kind of uh, administration. Um, and, and you have this rare consensus in which kind of conservative Cold War politics with regards to family planning um, dovetail with more progressive kind of left wing um, kind of approaches to um, alleviation of poverty um, coming together at a particularly interesting moment um, uh, when it comes to public health. But for, for, for Beatrice, public health or being a, a doctor was always about helping um, people obviously helping helping people but um, she saw health as being directly connected to the socio-economic conditions in which people lived um, she they were being trained in the 1960s to think very much in terms of health not in terms of just um, disease and, and illness but in terms of um, the, the the broader sociological um, and economic conditions that people were living in as well um, she so as a medic she also goes out um, to work in an internship, a rural, um, an internship in uh, another province. They go out to um, um, to uh, work. Uh, she goes to Melipilla, a, 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 mun- a municipality um, further away from Santiago, where she she comes into contact with different types of medicine um, and different kinds of rural kind of population um, as well. So, yeah, there are a number of connections between what her politics and how they're evolving um, and um, her her medical training um, as well. In terms of her relationships, her friendship groups, I mean, she her first her first real proper relationship and and her first husband um, is a leader of the socialist youth um, or someone very involved in socialist youth politics. And um, very much in terms of who she's socializing and. Um, how they're socialising, which is is very much centred around politics. It's centred around um, uh, political activism, mobilisation um, of the mid-1960s. Um, and it makes a lot of sense that um, um, this is where she finds kind of, um, kind of love, her first um, um, significant um, relationship. Um, it's also politics which... Bring starts to pull them apart actually, and starts to create tensions in the relationship further along. So I'd like to talk about the years um, 1967, 68, 69, maybe all together. Yeah, of course. Um, she takes about you know she takes a, a life changing another life changing trip to Cuba. Um, you know, gets into a new relationship there. But the question I'd really like to ask you is how revolutionary did Beatriz want to be sort of what, what kind of political actor was she aiming to be? And was she able to sort of um, practice her politics in the way that she aspired to during that era? Yeah. I mean, the most, one of the most decisive things that happens um, is, is Che Guevara's death in 1967 and his involvement in Bolivia um, in from 66 to 67. Um, This is an incredibly important um, influence and moment um, for Beatrice and for the revolutionary left as as well. Um, there's a radicalization of politics in Chile, which I won't go into um, at, for, 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 at the moment. Um, but 
Che Guevara's death is, um, and this comes um, on the back of his incredible message to the Tree Continental to create two, three, many Vietnams, this call to arms um, for revolutionary in, in, in the region. Um, che Guevara's death is, 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 a, is a very, very um, um, moving, mobilizing moment for, for many uh, young uh, Latin Americans. And she goes to Cuba in the immediate aftermath of his death. And one of the things she's asking is, how can I follow in his footsteps? How can I be like Che? Because this is what Fidel says, you know, after his death. He says, we as revolutionary, revolutionaries, we must aspire to be like him. Um, Seremos como el Che, we will be like Che. And, and this is, this is an, a moment where she asks, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> will you train me? I want to train as a guerrilla insurgent and I, I want to uh, follow him. Um, now she does link up with a new guerrilla insurgency in Bolivia. Um, led by Inti Peredo, um, but she's told that she will not be trained as a guerrilla insurgent, that she will work in the urban underground in communications and logistics. Um, and there are two reasons for this. Um, one is that she's her father's daughter and he is a prominent political figure in Chile and they worry about the complications, the Cubans worry about the complications that her involvement might cause for her father. But the other reason is because she's a woman and women were not being trained to go and fight in insurgencies on the whole. Um, they were predominantly considered more appropriate to work um, in communications and intelligence. Um, and this this really is not what she she wants to be like Che. So I, I talk about, you know, this is a book that tells you what it's like to be a female revolutionary in the age of Che Guevara. Well, it's the same as it is for male revolutionaries in, in terms of the inspirations and the motives that are leading her to, to want to join these um, guerrilla insurgencies. But it's different in that she is told no. Um, she is told that um, women are not suitable for, for, for these kind of uh, for, for, for the kind of physical, kind of heroic guerrilla um, 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 actions, um, and and so she's also she she's she she she's told to go back to Santiago, where she forms a very important part of the rear guard, um, helping to support those who go to Bolivia in this second insurgency. Um, a disaster! It's a disaster. This second insurgency, but she she's there, kind of providing radio signaling, transporting arms back and forth to the Bolivian border, um, organizing safe houses, um, um, using um, Radio Havana to decode messages um, for um, those in Santiago. Um, so so that's, that's where she is really in the late 60s. She's very focused on Bolivia. Um, and she's focused on Bolivia because she believes that, or the Cubans believe that that is where a regional uh, kind of revolutionary um, movement can um, start that Chile doesn't really have the conditions for uh, revolution in 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 the same way. So how then does she transition into taking a, again an important role in um, supporting and maybe even advising um, her father when Allende does eventually win the presidency? Um, well, I mean, she she's very reluctant, really. To become very involved in his um, 1970 campaign, um, she's very skeptical that he's going to win, or that you know she, he's going to be able to um, uh, to assume the presidency if he does. 
Um, I think to understand the reasons why she really becomes an active and very central figure in his campaign team and then goes to La Moneda and and works for him as a one of his as, as his private secretary, but as you say, a, a role that was kind of um, also advisory in in some ways, or at least very um, important in terms of supporting his presidency. Um, the, I mean, the, the reasons are one is that the, the insurgency of Bolivia by 1970 has run into just really uh, catastrophic kind of um, roadblocks. Um, Inti Pereira is killed. Um, the urban um, networks um, are discovered. Um, the, these, this insurgency, the members of the insurgency are on the run or they defect. Um, and the, even the Cubans have kind of turned their back and, and, and they're advising, as well as, you know, those within Chile are, are, are turning back to Chile um, and thinking, okay, maybe we can have more of an an influence here. Um, the other the other thing that is 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 very important is her father has a heart attack on the campaign trail um, in early 1970, um, and it is a personal love and concern for her father and his campaign team and the fear that he is he needs to be protected and supported that really leads her back into supporting him. Or, or leads her to, to to stand by him in the way she does. Uh, she organizes. She one of the things she does is she's very worried about his security. She helps organize a personal bodyguard for him, and in this she brings in um, many of her friends who had been uh, involved in the Bolivian um, revolutionary insurgency, um, and so they start to coalesce around her father and create kind of a security um, uh, force for him um, from. Within La Moneda, when she's a private secretary, she works. Um, she works with a team of other women in the private secretariat, very gendered um, uh, kind of office that was there. But she 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 becomes an unofficial or a par- what was described to me as a parallel foreign minister. So obviously, she doesn't deal with state to state relations, but she becomes a bridge um, for her father or a, a kind of the link before her father with. Uh, the Cuban regime, but also with other revolutionary groups within Latin America. Um, she also becomes a bridge for her father between the UP, uh, the Unidad Popular, and also the MIR, so the, the far-left group or the extra-parliamentary group um, that Miguel Enriquez is heading by the 1970s. And one of the things she tries and does is to make sure that these two groups don't break apart. So Allende... And the UP is a is a incredible case of very different left wing factions um, uh, trying to, to to govern and lead the country towards a kind of democratic, uh, peaceful road to socialism, um, but believing in very distinct and different ways to get there. Um, and Allende has to tread a very fine line to to keep uh, these different factions together. And Beatriz becomes a very important um, asset to him. Um, in being able to keep the revolutionary left on board um, or to at least convene meetings and to convene ways in which these groups can talk to each other. Um, so those are some of the ways in which she she participates in security um, in terms of a bridge to revolutionary groups and in terms of uh, kind of this link to the revolutionary left. Could you talk about um, sort of where she was and what happened to her on September 11th, 1973, and her experience in exile? How does um, how does that exit happen? Um, well, she would have 
because of her training, she would have very much liked, or not liked, but she expected to be next to her father um, fighting by his side, um, Patria Muerte, um, against the coup, which when it struck and, and it was all expected to strike. And she goes to La Moneda um, uh, on the day of the 11th of September, despite her father's efforts to prevent her from going. And one of the reasons he wants to prevent her from going is that she's his daughter and she wants to prote- he wants to protect her. She's also seven months pregnant um, on the day of the coup. Um, this does not stop her going and wanting to be by her father's side, but her father um, is very concerned that um, women should be protected and they should be able to leave La Moneda. They should leave La Moneda. They should be allowed to um, before the bombing of the palace starts. Um, and um, he begs her and her sister, who is also there, and the other women to leave. Uh, she desperately tries to stay, but um, in the end uh, leaves. And um, many have suggested, and I think this is true, that she never forgives herself for not having been able to stay with her father until the end, until, you know, the Monet, La Moneda is bombed and, and her father um, most probably commits suicide as, as troops um, storm the building um, and take it over. She goes into exile. She goes uh, to the Cuban embassy where she meets with her Cuban husband and they go into exile in Havana. Um, and she becomes... Uh, she. She becomes a, a, a key figure in organizing a unified left resistance or a coordinated left-wing resistance to um, uh, the dictatorship. Now, I say coordinated or united. I mean, there's a there's a united left label put on this. But um, one of the things that increase, she finds increasingly hard is dealing with the left-wing splits um, and, the, and the factional fighting that goes on with the left um, after the coup largely to do with um, kind of arguments over what what went wrong and who, who had been wrong, who had been right um, in, 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 the, in the period leading up to the coup and, and what should then, how they should then um, really effectively um, confront the dictatorship. So I'd like to ask now, um, knowing that this story ends in um, a sort of well, an incredibly painful and tragic way with Beatrice taking her own life. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the process of doing research to be able to uh, to contextualize or shed some light on that personal decision she made? Yeah. Um, so this is a, I mean, it's a very difficult, it's a difficult um, thing to write about. And it's, it was a very difficult um, story to be able to research as well. I mean, I, I never had access um, to any kind of medical records um, in Cuba, nor um, did I really go kind of trying to probe um, someone's very personal medical history. Um, The sources I was able to draw on um, to understand or to tell that that part of her story that talk about her death uh, were mainly to do with, on the one hand, her private correspondence or, or the correspondence that remained in the collection, the private collection that I was able to access. Um, and in those letters, she be, she does talk about her physical and, and mental state. Um, and you can see by 1977, her concerns, the way in which she's writing about how she feels in, in Cuba are changing. Um, and, and particularly how she's feeling about 
what's happening in Chile, um, uh, the what's happening to the left, and really um, her huge disillusionment about the possibilities for overcoming um, and overthrowing the dictatorship. Um, so that was on the one hand, I had those sources. On the other hand, I had um, her in- the interviews that I did. Um, and one of the main sources for the book were extensive oral histories with many of her friends, um, family. Um, and although they couldn't tell me what was inside Beatrice's mind when she made this decision, um, they together do help to piece together the circumstances, the context um, in which she um, made this um, choice. Now, she does write, she did write a letter, a suicide note, um, which she addressed to Fidel, um, and I wasn't able to read that. Um, uh, But I did speak to people who had read it, um, and they were able to shed some light on what it said. Um, So, I mean, in terms of the process by which I was able to write about this, I had to address it. It was something that obviously came up. um, And in, in 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 all of the interviews and when you're writing a biography it, it, it had to be addressed um but a lot of it has to come down to conjecture really at the end about how other her friends how her her family um interpreted that decision um and through her correspondence piecing together really what it was that led her to that um to to, to take her own life um, thank you for, for speaking about that. Um, you've mentioned, uh, you know, the interviews that you've done um, as being one of the important sources. Were there any others that you sort of felt like were absolutely critical to making this biography possible? Yeah, I mean, her, her letters, the access I had to her private correspondence was, was key. Um, and, and I said that there are different types of letters here. I mean, one of them were uh, the private love letters that she wrote to Luis in the late 60s and 70s, in which there's a coded references to the insurgency she's involved in. And, and also she talks about this political situation in Chile, um, as well as her, her longing for Cuba, her, the way in which she's thinking about Cuba and the revolution there. Um, the other correspondence is, is the solidarity correspondence. I mean, the thing about writing about solidarity and about uh, the, the process she was involved in is that um, solidarity moved forward through written words. This is how people communicated with each other across uh, continents, across oceans. So the paper trail there is extensive um, in helping to piece together her role within this solidarity movement and on the left. Um, it's far harder to find sources um, about covert revolutionary insurgencies um, covert revolutionaries don't tend to write down what they're doing and why. Um, And so in those respects, uh, interviews were important. The other source that I found really much more useful than perhaps I had envisaged when I went into this project were were, were newspapers. Um, I'd used a lot of media sources, a lot of newspapers to give me access to context um, interviews um, uh, that were conducted by the media at the time. but I mean, the book draws on. I ha- I mean, to do a kind of history like this, it it draws on on, on what I could find from everything from CIA intelligence files um, to um, British foreign diplomatic kind of observations of what was happening in Chile to um, people's memoirs to interviews um, to these love letters, the most intimate kind of private love letters as well. 
it sounds like a challenging and um, quite monumental um, endeavor, but the results um, I really enjoyed reading and it's been great speaking with you about them. Um, I did have, uh, I guess, a sort of um, more abstract question. Um, I, I wanted to know what have been sort of some of the particular satisfactions um, that you've had from writing a biography, which is a different genre, um, you know, than the monograph or some of the other genres that we tend to write in as historians. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, history is first and foremost, um, has always been about writing about people, about humans, about uh, about the way in which they interact with the societies and the context around them. And this really allowed me to do that. Um, but it the other satisfaction I had was really in in really being able to delve in and probe the role that women played in the revolutionary left and in the Cold War. Um, women have been kind of silent uh, for, in many kind of histories of uh, revolution and political change. Um, this is changing. There's some incredible, incredible scholarship of women and gender um, and the Cold War and revolution and, and Latin, recent Latin American history. But for me, um, choosing this incredible woman, and she's complex and contested and flawed as well, um, but choosing this woman um, and, and, and following her journey really allowed me to kind of explore um, new avenues that I had not really thought about. And as I said, I, I really do think of this as, as a kind of micro history, as a life and times in which the times really in which she lived came into view more and more as, a, as the project um, continued. Thank you so much. Um, would you share with us what your next project is, what you're working on? right now? Um, well, having just finished, I, I can't say that I've got a, a definitive project um, in mind. This summer, um, before COVID-19 broke out, was going to be a, a moment of reading, reflection, and, and really planning for the next um, project. I've got two ideas. Um, one, I think, is to look more seriously at the role that the Vietnam War had in Latin America um, and in uh, in influencing political change um, and society um, in the 60s and 70s. I, I feel there's a big historiographical gap where it, when it comes to understanding uh, what Vietnam's um, significance was. And, and the Beatrice book really um, kind of pushed me towards that in terms of how Vietnam intersects with the various kind of political choices and, and ideas that she's involved in. And the second one is to, to look more closely at women in revolutionary groups, um, particularly on the, on the revolutionary left, but particularly those who fought in the resistance against um, Pinochet, either in terms of solidarity activists or on the ground um, clandestinely um, in the political parties, and particularly the Frente Patriotico Manuel um, Rodriguez. Um, I feel like uh, there's much more to, to learn about women's roles. And one of the things that I say in the book is that, um, you know, we need to move away from looking at, obviously, the leaders. There's been great work on rank and file, but I feel like there's a place for the secretaries and the urban underground and those who are involved in communications and logistics like Beatrice, who really were central to making kind of some of these revolutionary um, uh, operations um, possible, um, and so uh, that is another that is another possible um, project, or maybe both of them will be something I work on together. Things that I work on together. 
Well, those sound like very exciting avenues, um, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who's looking forward to those whenever the time um, the time comes. So thank you so much, Tanya, for speaking with us today. We've been talking to you about your book, Beatriz Allende, A Revolutionary Life in Cold War Latin America, um, and it's been my pleasure to learn a bit more about it with you. Thanks very much, Rachel. Thanks for having me on. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.